Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to another underground version, coronavirus version of uh, Bill Roden on Sports, episode five <laughs> uh, here in uh, Manhattan this time. Uh, that's right. I mean, Manhattan is an undisclosed location in Manhattan, uh, but though not at the ABC building. Uh, but uh, I'm here with uh, my co-host, uh, the great Jamal Murphy. Uh, Murph, what's going on? What's up, Bill? I'm still in, uh, in good old Brooklyn. Holding it down. See, hold it down. Did you take yeah, your, you take your daily walk yet? Not yet. Not yet. After this, after this uh, riveting conversation, <laughs> I'll walk it off. Uh, All right. Walk around my, around my Brooklyn neighborhood. Uh, we got some great guests, which you managed to. Uh, why don't you uh, why don't you uh, bring in our two uh, esteemed guests? All right. Uh, we've got the great Jim Trotter, a reporter, NFL media, uh, of course, formerly with ESPN and Sports Illustrated. Uh, he broke a story on, the resol- on, on a resolution that, was, uh, that the NFL was considering proposing, and, and we'll get into that later as far as um, uh, diversity in coaching is concerned. So that'll be a, a big topic for today. And also we have a return guest, uh, the great, great Ken Shropshire. You know, hey. to- <laughs> How you doing, Ken? Uh, CEO. Good, good. CEO Global Sport Institute and Professor of Global Sport at Arizona State University. Good to see you again, Ken. Likewise, likewise. And Jim, how you doing, Jim? Doing well, thank you. Glad to be here. So, you know, that, well, we'll go ahead. You know, there was a lot of news, uh, Jim. You broke the story, but uh, why, why don't you tell us exactly uh, what, what happened, what the news is, because um, there's sort of been a lot of, not so much confusion, but people bring up the Rooney Rule in the same breath as this new resolution. So why don't you sort of decode that uh, to let us know um, where we are? And, and Ken, I'd like you to weigh in too because you sort of been intimately involved in some of the behind-the-scenes things. So Jim, why don't you kind of let us know what happened and where we are with this? Well, Bill, as you know, the, the league has had a problem um, hiring and retaining uh, people of color for head coaching positions and general manager positions in the NFL. In fact. Over the last three hiring cycles, there have been 20 head coaching openings and only three have gone to a person of color. And currently, there are only two black general managers in the NFL. So the league office has wanted to address this for quite some time, but particularly in the last couple of years. And one of the things it came up with, um, an idea it came up with through the diversity committee, as well as some outside input, was that it wanted to incentivize the hiring of minority head coaches and general managers through enhanced draft status. And so that was one of two resolutions related to this issue that it presented to the owners on Tuesday. The owners chose to table the resolution that involved the draft choice compensation or or enhancement, I should say. What would happen is if you hired a minority head coach you would move up six spots in the third round. And if you hired a minority general manager, you would move up 10 spots in the third (laughs) round. Well, the owners tabled that resolution. There was another resolution that the owners voted in favor of, and this one was really significant. And what it does is it removes the restriction that had been in place since at least the mid-1990s. And under that rule, teams could block assistant coaches from interviewing for coordinator positions with other clubs if they were under contract. And the reason that's so significant is, um, as you know, many, many owners want a head coach with coordinator experience. Well, many minorities were being blocked from interviewing for those coordinator jobs, and which meant that they were not in the quote-unquote pipeline to become head coaches. Well, now that, that barrier has been removed, and that's significant. Lastly, this, and this is where a lot of conflating has gone on. People keep putting these resolutions under the Rooney Rule, which they are not. Resolutions must be voted on by the owners. Um, The Rooney Rule, under the Rooney Rule, that is something that can be imposed by the league office. It does not require 
a vote of the owners. And so what the league office did on Tuesday was it expanded the Rooney rule to say that owners must interview at least two minority candidates when it comes to head coaching position or general manager's position. And the league also said that for the first time ever, the rule would be to the coordinator position. So that was significant as well. Mm-hmm. Hey, Ken, what do you, what do you think? Now you've been, you've been involved with, with these types of issues for a long time. Uh, you, you, just your thoughts on the resolution, the passing, the draft picks, <laughs> moving up 12 spots. <laughs> it's so, so funny, man. I mean, yeah. Anyway, Ken, yeah, before we riff on it, what, what's your what's your uh, reaction? Well, well, I think where they ended up is a, a much better place than they were in. So, so I think that that's that's the thing to um, I don't want to say celebrate, but that's that's the thing to acknowledge uh, that, that there is a moment of of progress that's there. I think there there was a lot of, uh, and I appreciate Jim Jim's explanation. That, that's really really helpful for, for people to understand kind of the pr- progression of this and, and to understand that there were a lot of different things on the table. Because I think when, when he broke the story on um, the draft compensation uh, possibility, people just saw that it, in a vacuum and didn't understand that there were broader conversations taking place. And then it, then it became, as you saw a lot of people, you know, Riddick and others saying, hey, w- wait a minute, you mean a, a, a black Head coach is only worth the third round draft pick. I mean, really, it really got uh, uh, conflated into this this singular kind of uh, messaging, as opposed to this thing hasn't worked. We're trying to find other paths to move the needle, and this might be a tool that we could utilize to help people to do the right thing, and. And I think that, you know, my, in my conversation, the understanding of it, uh, I, I think there is a good grasp, but that might not be the right tool, but we've got to figure some things out. What we've done in the past has not, has not worked. And as Jim pointed out, the, the, you know, the, the, the flexibility the league has to, to impose a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, if we think about, you know, sociologically, the big issue, you know, how do you end up hiring a, 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 a white special teams coach as a head coach? because he reminds me of myself, you know, how, how do you overcome that and make it so that a, a an African-American coach is somebody that you have that kind of magical connection with? It may not be that he reminds you of you, but it may be that you have networked with this person. You come to understand who they are in a way that that's valuable. So, so the league's also imposing a lot of these, these uh, programs that will have more networking We'll have more education. Uh, so that's there's a long list of those kinds of things too. But the mobility issue to me is is one of the, you know, that's going to be very inter- interesting to watch to see if this freeing up uh, actually allows men to move into higher positions where previously they, they were handcuffed and couldn't get out and couldn't get this greater opportunity. Yeah, maybe they should get guys who, you know, brothers remind them of their cooks or maybe remind them of their partners. <laughs> Well, you know, oh yeah, he, he reminds me of like uh, the guy who used to take care of my, my lawn. Or, or, or how about how about the players? It reminds me of the players, the seventy percent of the players uh, that are that are in the league. That would make even yeah. even more sense. Yeah, it's really interesting. Is that if you look at this from sort of a historical standpoint, as as I tried to do after that first story, um, if you go in terms of looking at the modern history of the NFL, there have been really three flashpoints where the league has really tried to deal with this issue. And the first, I would argue, was 1987, when Bill Walsh was a coach of the 49ers. They had won a couple of Super Bowls at that point. And so he had the clout to kind of take on NFL culture. And what he noticed is that the, the population of players was becoming more diverse, but the coaching staffs were not. And what he was finding is that minority coaches from the college ranks who wanted to jump to the NFL were having the door slammed in their face. And he wanted to find a way to address that. And he got the approval of ownership to create a summer internship program where he would bring in minority coaches from the college ranks and the high school ranks, as well as former players, to spend training camp with the 49ers um, to get some exposure to, to the NFL game, as well as to give exposure to them to other clubs. And so over the next 14 years, 
there were five African-Americans hired as head coaches um, when there had been none in the modern era prior to that. And four of those five either came off Bill Walsh's tree, his coaching staff, or were part of his program. And subsequent to that, you know, the NFL adopted that program, named it after Bill Walsh. And then we had guys who graduated from that program, like Mike Tomlin, Lovey Smith, um, Herm Edwards, um, Raheem Morris, Hugh Jackson. You can go down the list. So to me, that was sort of the first flashpoint. The second one was the implementation of the Rooney Rule back in 03, because as the African-American, the number of African-American head coaches increased, there was a waning of that, a receding of that, and the league felt it needed to do something, and it came up with the Rooney Rule, um, which again, after that, we saw incremental increases in in the number of minority head coaches. Um, But then we also saw that start to recede. And so to me, Tuesday was like the third flashpoint in the modern league's history in terms of addressing this issue where the league felt something drastic had to be done, whether it was a summer internship program, whether it was the, the um, Rooney rule, and now talking about incentivizing, you know, draft picks for hiring a minority head coach or GM. So um, I don't know what's going to come of them tabling this initiative, but what it does is at least it gets the conversation going again. And I always say this. People say that this is an NFL problem, a league problem. I say it's not that at all. It's an owner problem. And right. I think the focus has to be kept on the owners for any change to, to be made at this point. And that's what I'm hoping more in the media will do is, is continue to identify this as an owner problem and not an NFL problem. What, why do you think it was tabled? But, yeah. you know, why why, why yeah, wasn't it addressed? I, yeah. I think, yeah, I think the obvious thing. Yeah, I think the obvious answer is they feel they didn't have the votes to pass that. And now having talked to a couple of owners going into that meeting, I can tell you that I didn't sense that it had the momentum to pass at that point. And and what's really weird about it is that normally the league will not bring something forward like that unless it has already counted votes. But the owners that I spoke to said, look, we recognize there's a problem. We just don't feel this is the proper time to address it. Because we're in the middle of a pandemic, we don't know if we're going to have a season, people are being fired, people are being furloughed. So is this the time to have this discussion when we're months away from the next hiring cycle? And, you know, there is that, that historical context that when is the right, it's never the right time. Well, exactly. You know, among right. some, yeah. So, um, but in talking to owners, that's what I was told. It's that just at this point, they did not feel it was the right time. And then the other thing is, when that story broke on Friday, what happened is minorities had a chance then to go to their owners or to come out publicly and comment on it. And I can tell you this for a fact. I spoke to one coach who told me he called his owner and he told him, if you vote for this, it will be a direct insult to me as a person, as a black man. So there was there was that whole dynamic going on, too, where all of a sudden owners were hearing minorities speak out on this and say, this is not the right way to go about this. I mean, I, and I thought that was so, so interesting. I mean, I, I didn't think it was, it was, uh, I thought it was problematic as a standalone for sure that, that, you know, this, this alone is the answer. Uh, but it, it, it really struck me, uh, as a, as a kind of a, a generational moment too, that, that Jimmy, he said, so, well, it's an owner problem. And this was to address the owners. This was to, uh, punish or propel the owners to do something they, they weren't doing. It wasn't, at least in my mind, but my, my first read was not, this is saying uh, you are worth less as a coach. So we have to do these things to, to make you move, move forward. And it was, and I say generational because it's, it's so much uh, reminded me, you know, of, and as an affirmative action baby of, of those kinds of conversations of, of you know, how do you feel uh, 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 being at Stanford university, knowing you got here, with lesser, you know, and I, and, and my first reaction, I didn't know I was, was lesser, but then my second is, is, well, let me excel, you know, so, so, so it's interesting to me that that was the response. Uh, and, and I'm wondering if there's ever, if this is the response of this generation of coaches, if there is ever a way to impose any kind of additional punishment, you know, monetary fines existed for not kind of complying with the, the Rooney rule. And this was a, Oh, an additional step, an additional lever. So, so I, I, I was, I was, uh, I shouldn't have been surprised by the severity of the response, but, but, I, but, I, but I really was. The thing that fascinates me about this is that we are asking the people who are being aggrieved to some extent to create the solution. 
and and we are not asking the owners to come up with a solution for this you know and 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 that's a problem in my mind the other thing that was interesting is like so many when i first learned of this um i was offended by it um because i thought i was one of those people who said this feeds right into the narrative that the only way owners will hire minorities for these positions is if you bribe them to do it and so being totally candid here I spoke with um, a couple of former minority head coaches who said to me, look, we have two choices here. We can either hold our nose, acknowledge that it stinks, but get our foot in the door, do a good job and create opportunities for other in that way. Or we can sit here and continue to bitch about it and never get our foot in the door. And then what do you have? You have the same old problem. So, you know, they were trying to get me to see it from the other side, which I, which I, I now see. But my point is, why is this still on us to figure out when we're not the ones doing the hiring or the firing? And the fact is, what owners have shown is that they're, they're incredible, incredibly gifted when it comes to firing, but they're also horrible when it comes to hiring. Because since 2000, there has been an average of seven head coaching changes every year. So clearly, the owners should acknowledge that the model that they're using is not working, but that hasn't happened yet. But, you know, I, I mean, I, I guess two things. The, the, the reality, Jim, it's not just, you know, I think it's not just in coaching. It's, it's in our industry. It's in every single industry. Sure. You look, at, you look at our industry. You know, I mean, how many times have you been impressed by whatever? And, and it's like they're like no black reporters. And then the irony of that is that we're trying to rely on these white guys to be, to carry the flag for a black issue, you know, about hiring. But, and then the second thing is that, and I guess we kind of see this a little differently, the reality is that racism is that deeply entrenched. It is that deeply entrenched that you do have to bribe. You do have to, because they, clearly they're not doing this. They're not doing this out of the goodness of their heart. And, and my thing is that the fact that 70 or 65, whatever percent of the league is black, it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing unless that 75% is vocal, says something, you know? I mean, if, if you got, what does it mean? What, what, other, what does that mean, Jim? What does having a majority of black players mean if, they, if it doesn't mean anything? If they don't say anything, if they just kind of take what's given, if they, if they kind of take the hat in the hand? I mean, it means absolutely nothing if the players do not say anything. And you've been talking about it. I've been talking about it. Ken's been talking about, but they're not talking about it as a group. And I don't know if you feel that falls on DeMorris, because he's clearly taking a hands-off. Just said, well, it ain't labor. So I don't know, man, but I, I do think that the players should be the ones, the black people should be the ones to say, telling, quote-unquote, their owners, that, yeah, you're insulting me by saying that I'm good enough to tote that barge, lift that bail, but... You give the John Lynches of the world. I mean, you always did these white guys. You always pick them out and put them on the conveyor belt when we've been the ones who've been carrying this league. I think, Bill, it, it goes, as you were saying earlier, it goes so much deeper than just football. Um, and it goes to, the, to psychologically many of the things we've had to endure and overcome and, and how we apply that to our daily lives. I'll say this to you about talking about black coaches. Look at black players with black agents. Right. You know, right. we don't hire our own often. So it, it's a it's a much deeper problem than than um, than just you know head coaches or general managers um, being hired or not hired. So I agree with you on that, and I do I do believe racism is 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 a part of it. And we talk about this new we use these new terms now these these euphemisms you know um, unconscious bias and things like that. <laughs> right. You know, and 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 it and it. The thing that the thing that I guess I always come back to is that you hear people say, particularly you hear white people say, "Why can't they just hire the best person?" Right. And my response to that is, "They're not." That's the They're exact not. same thing that black coaches are saying. <laughs> right, right. Why can't you hire the best person? Right. So right. we're in agreement. Right. The question right. is, do we get the opportunities that others get? And and look, you all know the stories. And and I can the most glaring one this past off season was Eric Bieniemy. Right. You know. Right. The two coordinators with the Chiefs prior to Eric, meaning Doug Peterson and Matt Nagy, both in Kansas City, got jobs, head coaching jobs, without being a play caller. They were offensive coordinators for the Chiefs under Andy Reid. They got jobs 
Peterson with the Eagles, Nagy with the Bears. Well, Eric Bieniemy comes after them, same position, same responsibilities. Um, he has a quarterback who is a league MVP one year, a Super Bowl MVP the next year. There were five openings this offseason, and he gets passed over at a time where owners have been saying the trend is we want young, offensive-minded head coaches. And yet the Giants go out and hire a special teams coach from New England with no previous head coaching experience, no coordinator experience on offense, and, and it's okay. Right. I mean, that's the kind of thing where I hear from minority coaches where, and, and, and this is what, what's really troubling to me, at times you almost hear a sense of hopelessness. And I had one of them text me in all caps and say, this just shows they do not want us being leaders of their team. And right. so when you hear that kind of frustration and that kind of hopelessness from from these men, um, to me, that should tell owners, and I know it tells the league office, that there is a problem here and, and that it needs to be addressed. And I think the league office is trying to address it. But again, it comes back to the league office doesn't do the hiring. The owners do. So, but, but what, and I'd like to hear from you, all, all three of you, uh, Kent, I mean, but I want to go back to the point of the players, man. I mean, this industry is built on players. And I got to believe, man, that if you had a bunch of players in an organized, unified fashion, you saw what happened with the kneeling and all that. It drove these guys nuts, man, you know, right. because that's their product. And when these guys act in unison, said, listen, this better change. We will publicly shame you. I don't know if we go back to kneeling or raising our fists or something, but you know the owners, that's the only thing I've seen in years. That's the only thing I've seen the owners say, okay, what do you MFs want? Okay, stop it. Would you please stop it? Because they were publicly embarrassing them as a unit. And to me, if they don't do that, man, if the players don't do that, if they don't take up this mantle, you're not going to force these guys, uh, you're not going to force goodness in their heart. But what, what do you guys think? Do you think that that uh, uh, that the players really should not play a role in this and, and, and sort of their own, <laughs> their own industry, their own uh, upward mobility? I mean, I think, of course, they should play a role. And I mean, you, you know, Biennium is a former player. So obviously, you know, it can affect them down the line. But there was there even with the kneeling, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't unity. Uh, there was a there was a it was a few players. And it was right? a few. It was enough to make the, it was enough to make the owners enough. Say, OK, what do you want? Enough, <laughs> what do you but, want? Enough. But even then, it, it wasn't the majority of players. It wasn't 50 percent of the players. It wasn't enough. I wanted to go back to what, you know, what Jim brought up about, you know, coaches who complained to owners and said that they felt. Uh, disrespected by that it's interesting to me because it it can go the other way too because when I first heard about it I was kind of offended also but but almost on the other side of it like like almost like it trivialized it you're talking about draft picks I mean this is this is this is serious stuff here and you're talking about draft picks you know to me a fine do more uh substantial work than than taking a draft pick away kind of like you're thinking strictly football so much that all of a sudden, you know, oh my God, you know, the competitive balance is the issue. When really that, you know, that, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's not a big deal. I would ask you, Jamal, when we talk about finding teams, what, what are you finding them for? Because right. you can't tell an owner who to hire. You know, if they feel such and such is the best candidate to run their team, what are you going to, how do you find them? That becomes the problem here because I've right. heard that talked about. And the other thing, when Bill talks about the players, look, I, I think you're right. And I think there are some players who are so, socially conscious and aware and, and willing to address this. But the vast majority, and, and I hate to, to generalize here, but we've seen time and again, they're not in for that fight. They want their check. Um, right. They want some other things. And they're moving on. They don't want this fight. And I, and I talked to some I will not put names out there, but I talked to top flight players, influential black players who, if they wanted to, during that whole kneeling situation to come out and, and, and taking a knee with Colin and whatnot, it could have made a tremendous difference and told me it just wasn't for them. So I, how do you force someone to do something that isn't in their heart or their consciousness? Right. right. And, and, and Jamal on the, on the, uh... You know, you can't miss can't miss what you never had either. I mean, a lot of these guys never had the the black coach. It's not a you know, it's right. not not a right. thing where the you know kneeling the, the extent that it happened that was something they could feel 
directly in a, in a different kind of way. That was, you know, that was Ali getting drafted. Oh, I'm against the war. You know, if, if there's something that if it impacts you directly, you're more, more likely to, to be the activist. And if you, you know, the idea of it being a socially conscious issue to have equity in terms of hiring, there, there's a few steps removed before you know, players get into that. Again, when, when it may impact your paycheck, well, you know, I'm not, I'm going to step out on that one. Yeah, that's a great point, Ken. Uh, and again, this, as Jim pointed out, this is so systemic. Uh, you know, the neck bones connected to the thigh bone, because you're right, none of the most, most of these guys, unless they went to HBCUs, most of them have not had black coaches, you know, most of their entire careers, you know, college, because you talk about a plantation. Look at high, high school. Big, big high school. I mean, many of them have never had black coaches. Some of them may complain if they have black coaches. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> He's so, hard on me. Hard on me. Let me ask you this, though, Jim, because, and, and Ken brought it up too. I mean, the, the NFL is making some kind of some progress here. Uh, when you look at uh, teams now must interview two external m- minority candidates for head coaching positions and one minority candidate for any coordinator job. Uh, teams also must interview at least one minority candidate for all senior football operations or GM openings and uh, include a minority and or female applicant for senior level positions, including club presidents. So they did make some progress here. So we hope. I mean, or they tried, or they tried to sure. do something on the on the surface. They tried to do something, sure. which is which is sure. even more than other leagues have done. Sure. I mean, and they also created well, they also created a fellowship now where there would be a minority in the quarterback room for each of the thirty-two teams. Um, so again, the league office has taken many steps to try and address this, but they don't have the authority to do the hiring and firing. Here's the other thing I, I would say. Part of the problem is on a basic fundamental level, set aside the systemic things. Um, if you were an owner and you have an opening and you're looking for a coach, what do we always hear? The first thing people say is who are the hot candidates right. instead of, instead of what am I looking for in a head coach? Do I want someone with experience who has previous head coaching experience or not? Do I want someone from offense, defense, or special teams? Do I want someone younger or older? Do I want a teacher or do I want a motivator? Do I want a delegator? Do I want a hands-on guy? All of those types of questions you have to answer before you ever even get around to saying who are the top candidates and owners don't do that. What they do is they hide behind search firms. And what do these search firms do? They go out and they talk to football people and say, who are the hot candidates? You know, um, who should we be talking to? Well, my thing is eliminate the search firms. To me, owners should be asking those questions of these people so that they have a better understanding of who it is that they're preparing to sit down across the table from. The, the Lastly, I will say this to you. What I've heard from minority candidates, both on the personnel side and the coaching side, is that they do believe comfort level is a big issue in this, that owners traditionally are going to hire someone who looks like them, sounds like them, has some of the shared um, social and cultural experiences. So I presented that to Katie Blackburn a a year or two ago. At the time, she was the chair of the the league's diversity committee. And I asked her, I said, can I tell you what I'm hearing from these men? And when I told her that what they were saying to me is that they believe comfort level was an issue, she told me she did not believe that that was a factor. And to me, that right there spoke to the problem. These men are trying to tell you what the issue is, and you are telling them, no, that's not the issue. So you are saying to them, your opinion, your feelings, and the things that are important to you, we don't believe in. Our guest is the great Jim Trotter. You started your career in San Diego. I mean, you, you, you pay dues, man. I mean, you, you know, you've been there every step of the way. You're at San Diego, you're at the Tribune. Uh, you joined Sports Illustrated. You, you were there for more than a decade. I mean, you, you know, you are a solid, what well, we could be the epitome of the solid journalist. I mean, you paid your dues. You know your stuff. Uh, you're very well respected. So, you know, you're not just making this stuff up. You know of what you speak, and you've seen this over a period of uh, of decades, man. You see, you see. Once again, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. 
Audible has over 180,000 book titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. For you, the listeners of the Bill Roden on Sports podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. We highly recommend that you check out the classic $40 Million Slaves, The Rise, Fall, and Redemption of the Black Athlete by the one and only William C. Roden. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on sports. Again, that's audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on sports for your free audiobook. Let me, let me ask you a question. Um, this kind of shifts gears a little bit. We're talking about NFL as if there's certainty that the season's going to begin. This is going to be a season. Right. We could be like in fantasy football. What, what, what's your take, man? What's your, your thinking about what this season, quote unquote, is going to look like? Uh, testing, training camp? I mean, what do we, how big is this ship that we got to turn around? Oh, it's huge, Bill. Um, I, I don't know what this season will, excuse me, will look like. And I think anyone who tells you they know is kidding themselves. The league doesn't know at this point. It's trying to make contingency plans. I mean, some people very high up I spoke to said they could see a scenario in which the season gets pushed back as far as November, December, possibly. So none of us know at this point. Um, we don't know. I do believe there will be a season, but I don't know what it'll look like. I don't know if there will be fans present or not. Um, I don't know what testing will look like, any of that. And we've been told not to speculate on it by, by the league. Um, but there are just too many unknowns. Here's what I do believe. One of the things working in the NFL's favor is time. So, for instance, Major League Baseball is talking about possibly starting up in June with, with quote-unquote spring training and then having games starting in July. I think if, let's say, baseball were to do that and it went off without any hiccups, then I think that would be an indication to the NFL to say, okay, we can proceed on schedule. I think if baseball were to run into any sort of hiccups, then I think you would see the NFL have to adjust to that. So, the one, again, the one thing working for the NFL at this point is that it has time, but I, none of us know whether or not there will be a season, and if so, what it will look like. Hey, hey Ken, let me ask you this. Um, you're at Arizona State, which, of course, is a football factory. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, but but you hear, I don't know, man. You know, I, I we had an interview with uh, 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 Don, uh, Dr. David Wilson, president of Morgan, and he said we're not if we can't bring students on campus, there's not going to be fall sports. So um, let me issue a disclaimer that uh, my comments uh, in no way reflect the views of the D1 board of directors of the NCAA, uh, nor the board of governors of the NCAA. Uh, but my comments only reflect uh, my position uh, as president of Morgan State University. Uh, and so what I can say as president of Morgan State University uh, is that uh, we will not uh, be uh, fielding any ball sports at Morgan if the university uh, is not having students at our institution in some capacity. Uh, and so in this space, uh, we at Morgan will lead with our values, uh, and there is no way that we are uh, uh, having football uh, if uh, we don't have students. Um, and there's no way that we're going to have any other fall sports. Uh, if, for example, our campus is going to be uh, physically shut off uh, to students uh, and others traversing the campus itself. Um, and I do think that uh, when you um, uh, survey uh, university presidents, by and large, across the country, um, that you will find very little deviation from that point of view. Uh, indeed, if I believe you um, were to look at comments made by uh, Mark Emery, uh, Emmerich, uh, a president of the NCAA over the weekend, uh, that was, I think, a position that he has expressed as well, that uh, based on his conversations across the spectrum, uh, that he did not sense uh, that any university presidents uh, were uh, warming to the idea of fall sports if they did not have students on their campuses. And certainly that point of view reflects where I am at Morgan State University. But you hear the people in the footballs, because they're just itching to say, hey, man, you know, we'll bring them on. You know, uh, what, what's, your, what's your sense uh, of, 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 of the college, of colleges? 
Well, I, I think it's evolved some. I mean, you know, the beginning, you know, Ray Anderson, athletic director here, was uh, we can't have sport without students on campus. And then, then across the country, you had Dabble Sweeney saying, you know, let's play. You know, so you, had, you had kind of different voices out there. My, I hear uh, Herm now, Herm Edwards, uh, uh, saying we're gonna we're gonna be ready if we need to be ready. We're gonna wait and see what, and, and which I think is the right answer for somebody in his position. Like we don't know what's gonna happen, but we're gonna be prepared for whatever happens. I, I think you know the best, and you know if I'm if I'm the PR advisor for all these people, all these coaches is 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 lead with the health piece, lead with the safety piece, lead, lead with that as as your your response. I don't want to do anything that endangers endangers these these young men. And the further you move away from uh, the idea of all students can't be on campus, my student athletes can't be on campus, the the, the, the more you are, I, I think going to the wrong hymnal. I think you I think you really need to uh, think about sincerely the, the health and safety of the, the young men and, and, and women in the women's sports. Let me ask you this, I mean, you know, staying, staying on the college and, you know, I'm, I'm watching all this, uh, you know, everybody's acting like there's going to be a season, you know, as, as normal, you know, in terms of fans and what you see on social media. Am, what, am I being too cynical to think that even colleges themselves colleges themselves that have big football programs are you know would rush regular students back to school in order to to, to play football and get this revenue is that is that too cynical that's, that's a lot of money i mean it, yeah i mean it is right we like to think that money doesn't tip the scale this is what we've seen in the white house too the, the you know economy versus health i mean the, the idea that there's got to be some even subliminally some influence of well, let's let err on the side of of, of, of allowing uh, students to come back because it will allow us to, to do sport. Yeah, I I, I hope not. And uh, uh, very few college presidents have stepped into that. Although we've heard a few coaches that have. Uh, uh, Jim, and, and and for the NFL, do you? I mean, or should we trust that the NFL will do this safely and correctly? When you think about the the core of the NFL fan base? Well, I, I think the one thing that, that's different from college, obviously, is that you have a union in the NFL. So you would hope that the Players Association, and I believe that the Players Association will protect its players' rights as far as safety um, and doing what's right. And the great thing I've seen of late, even though the, the players may not be completely where we want them to be in terms of certain issues and whatnot, is that players have become more empowered in recent years and they understand some of the power that they do have. So I, I don't believe, and again, it's just an opinion. I don't believe players will be going back unless they feel that, that the environment is safe for them to, to play games. Um, but I think it's vastly different from college in that, that these men can decide whether or not they go back as opposed to, you know, players, college players being told to come back. Yeah, Jamal, you you raise a great point. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, and again, you know, we've talked about not just football, but just nationally about the implications. And you've still got this thing about you've got, you know, POTUS 45 not wearing a mask. And and that has become a political issue. You got Dabble Sweeney, you know, almost talking about this, like, you know, just rush back in. So, you know, it's Jim what did he say? I, this is what he said. Yeah, he, he said if the choice is between playing without fans mm -hmm. or sitting out, he wants to play without fans. Well, I just, oh. I just want to add this. It's all about perceived level of risk. You have some people who are itching to get back and you have some people who aren't. So to me, my question is, what do you do with the athletes or coaches who are not ready to come back? Like, do you, can they, do they transfer? Do you, are they, do they get a, an extra year? Do you force them to come back? Like, do, they get, do they get do they get shamed? What do you guys? What do you think about that? I mean, um, uh, I I I, I want to get to another area, but what do you guys think about that? About uh, this whole thing of uh, some of the issues that Aaron brought up? Because it really, I think the highest value currently in our society, the highest value is money, and that's always problematic. When the highest value is money. And we're not talking about, and you know, these 19, 20, 22 year olds are 
they just want to play. You know, they're, they're, you know, they don't care. And most of them are going to be black. And then who do they say is the highest, the highest risk, the highest risk of, of, you know, of, of this awful disease is black people. So I, I don't know, man. Are you guys as we as journalists, Jim, are, are you eager to get back to the press box? No, look, I have a wife who's asthmatic. So for me, um, this lockdown has been serious. You know, I didn't go into the grocery store or the pharmacy or, you know, one of these essential services that we need. I, I've been in the house for, what, two months now. I think the last time I was out was March 18th. It was being work-related. So um, so it's a, it's a really serious issue for me. And I, and I have friends who are like, I want to go to the gym. I, they, they need to open up the gym or I need to do this and whatnot. And, you know, um, everyone does ha- have a different um, risk tolerance level. And for me, I'm, I'm not in any rush to go anywhere until the scientists and health professionals tell me that it's okay to go. So that's how I feel. Let me ask you this. I've, I've been thinking about this for a while, uh, you know, ever since people talk about sp- whether sports will return. Are ath- professional athletes, and I guess college athletes or college football and basketball players for that matter, are they essential employees, you know, based on, based on the rest of society? Are we going to treat them like, like essential employees? And if, and if they are, I mean, that's the only million-dollar employees I know that, that are essential or that are forced to go out and work? I, I don't view them as essential employees. So yeah, I, I um, agree. No, no, no. Yeah, I, 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 th- I think, I mean, it, it is fascinating to think about, about this and, and what, what Aaron raised in, in conjunction with what you just asked, Jamal, is um, how, how important is it? I mean, that, that, that's really, um, and, uh, and somebody got in trouble making the analogy, but, it, but it, there is... There is something to this, the, you know, the idea of uh, wherever you take the scientific evidence of, of CTE and, and causation uh, from playing football and what communities continue to, to play. Um, and, and the idea of um, assuming the risk in some sense that, that, that you know, I, I need to be out there, so I'm going to do this, or my kid needs to, this is my kid's path, so I... And so how many are making a similar, ready to make a similar decision uh, re- regarding the coronavirus? I, I need the money, so I, w- I will play. I need to display myself at the collegiate level. I need to p- display myself at, in high school showcases so I can, I can get that scholarship. So, so it is, you know, just, just as, as, you know, and we're all, uh, all of us talking today, you know, have the, the blessing of being able to, uh, you know, shelter and kind of do these things, um, we, you know, and that's just, we are not essential. I mean, you know, the folks that are essential are, are, are those that are, you know, delivering stuff, driving the buses, doing all these things. Um, so the sports thing is, you know, that, that it's just, you know, for our entertainment is one thing, but, but it's not something we have to have. But you, but you do hear people talking about it in those terms, in terms of, especially, you know, fans, like we need this, we need right, entertainment right. at this time. We need to, you know, allow people to stay home. So, so these people are, are almost essential for, in, in order for everyone else's safety. Mm-hmm. You know, you start, I'm starting to hear that. You hear a lot of crazy things, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, and it, it ties in with, with Dabo's kind of, you know, these guys got it. You got to play for it. You know, no, you don't. I mean. No, but let, let, let's be real about this, too. You do hear this stuff, but, but it's funny to me that it, it's the squeaky wheel that always gets the grease. Because mm-hmm. a recent poll that I saw yesterday said that basically almost 70% of the people say, they want to continue on um, the stay-at-home orders until they're told by the scientific community and the healthcare community that it's safe to go out. But it's that that 38%, that 40% that's getting a lot of the attention right now um, because they're so loud and vocal about it and defying, you know, these these public orders. Um, so, so I don't think we should be confused about that. Um, I think the large majority of, of people believe in the science and, and the healthcare professionals, but you have those others who, and I get why some of them are, are taking the position that they get. When you see your business, you know, basically going down the drain and, and, and 
you know, when you're struggling to pay your bills, all those sorts of things, I, I think you start to realize that, hey, you know what? Um, I feel a need to take this chance. Um, but again, I think most people, the, the vast majority of people, if we've seen through these polls, if you trust these polls, are saying they want to wait until the, the medical people say it's safe to go back. Jamal, whenever they go through that that list of of uh, you know who's at highest risk, the sixty five black, I'm the whole bingo card. I get bingo every time they all people. So I think even but even determining like who who are you listening to when you say it's safe to go mm-hmm. back? Because even you know Arizona where Ken is just opened, and I I believe there is a debate over the data Governor Ducey was looking at when he said it's safe, and there are some epidemiologists who have said, actually, the COVID cases are rising in Arizona and we opened prematurely. And there are others who were looking at something else and said it was fine. So I think, and I have a feeling you're going to see that debate in a lot of states. But that's, I want to say, that's that's what I think I will be looking at when I decide to go back to the gym or maybe back to a press box is like, are the COVID cases going down uh, according to a public health expert I trust? Right. I mean, and you had, you know, Governor Cuomo yesterday, I think, uh, a couple of days ago, who's, you know, been, you know, people perceive him, and I, I do too, I think, as being on the right side of most of this. But he mentioned that about professional sports, about, you know, that, that New York was open for professional sports. And, it, and, and he thought it would be helpful in terms of keeping people home and, <laughs> and inside. So, so I, I mean, as this thing gets closer and closer, I just, I just see uh, it being framed that way in terms of, you know, these these athletes who, let's be honest, you know, the fans are barely respect in the, you know, in the first place when you, when you listen to the dialogue, you know, even before the pandemic, now all of a sudden being nudged, you know, you, you got to play for us. You know, you, you guys are essential, for, you know, in other words. In the military, you don't, you don't want to be the man on point. And when somebody says the coast is clear, you don't want to be the first one to go out and check. That's that's my that's my you know I am I am not I'm the last one to go out. Everybody knows where to find me for the next few months. Yeah. <laughs> All I say is the players are that essential. They ought to be back in the owner's office asking for more money, right? Yeah, contracts too. And exactly. They're that essential. And what what about what about baseball? I mean, so baseball. Uh, you know, obviously the owners came to them with with the proposal and and reports are that the players are taking that kind of hard stance in terms of, uh, you know, you know, not not being willing to accept less when they are the ones, uh, you know, when they're putting their lives at risk. Do you think NFL has the same stomach and NFL players? Um, it's a great question. I, I, I can't speak for them right now. I, I don't know. I, I haven't interviewed players about that yet because we haven't gotten to that point. So. It would be unfair of me to, to characterize one way or the other. Um, but I do know this in terms of baseball. What are we already hearing? All oh, the players are greedy. Right. You know, yeah. they don't, they, you know, they won't go back and play, you know, for our entertainment. So they're greedy, you know, because they want their money. It's like, are you kidding me? Um, but it's just, it's, it's, I've always been fascinated how the public will always side with leagues and owners over players whenever there is a dispute. Um because again, it goes back to the old gladiator line. Are you not entertained? And they want to be entertained. Uh, Jim and, and the rest of the group, I had a question. Um, I've been thinking so much about Cam Newton and where he should go. <laughs> I want to know what your we thoughts are. We all have. We <laughs> all know. have. None of us know. Um, he, he, to me, Cam got, Cam just, just, fell into a situation that, that to me is, uh, well, first let me backtrack by saying Cam Newton is better than you could say half the quarterbacks in the league. Cam right. Newton should be starting someplace in the NFL. So that's the baseline on this. The problem is from a health standpoint, I get it. Teams want to get their hands on him and check him out because basically he's been out for two full years. And when COVID hit, um, teams were unable to actually bring players in to give them physical that sort of thing. So Cam got caught in a really tough situation. And then the problem is because the league went forward with the draft and free agency, many teams addressed their rosters as best they could at that point. So what I'm fascinated to see is whether or not Cam will take a lesser deal and sign with someone, you know, prior to the start of training camp, or will he wait to see if someone gets injured and then sign with the team? Um, 
we just don't know at this point. But I'll say this to you, and I've written this, so I'm not speaking out of turn. Um, if I'm a team, Cam Newton is somebody I definitely want to sign because I think two years he's had to get right, to get healthy. And prior to him going down with that injury, shoulder injury, two years ago, the, the Panthers were 6-2, and two and he was playing at, a, at an elite level. So I believe that he can get back there if he's healthy, and I would want him on my team. It almost becomes... What did I miss? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> but with Cam, it almost becomes, you know, like a double-edged sword for the, for the team because you're right. I mean, it's, I mean, he's... he's He's got to be better than than at least half the starting quarterbacks out there. So whoever brings him in, especially in a backup role, you're automatically creating a controversy, and rightfully so. No matter almost no matter where he goes, he could he, there's, a, there's an argument that he should be playing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I watched his IG uh, a couple of days ago. He looks like he's in great great shape. Um, you know, throw he's throwing footballs out there. Uh, so it's just it's it's crazy that he that he's not a starting quarterback right now on a team, and it's just going to be, you know, Cam already has this, you know, he already has this baggage. Not even, you know, a lot of times not of, of his own doing. He always he already has this baggage that follows him everywhere with fans who like him or dislike him, and it's just going to be times a hundred no matter where he goes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you what hurt Cam besides the the pandemic is that when his coach from Carolina went to Washington and brought in Kyle Allen from the Panthers instead of Cam, there are a number of teams that said, whoa, what does Ron know that we don't know? Why is he bringing in Kyle Allen instead of bringing in um, Cam Newton? And, and front office people act that way where their whole thing is they don't want to have to justify to an owner a mistake that they've made. So rather than take the risk, quote unquote, they just choose not to go down that road. And whether Ron realized it was going to have that impact or not with some teams that did, they questioned why would he sign essentially Cam's backup and not Cam himself. And I, I took that to mean he was maybe protecting Haskins. I mean, you got a second year quarterback who has a, who has upside. I mean, that, you know, that might be too much for Haskins to take. No, but Jamal, we know this about teams. When a new coach comes in and a new GM comes in, they're not beholden to who was there before. So um, if Ron Rivera had said, I want to move on from Dwayne Haskins after one year, right or wrong, we've seen it happen before. Right. Uh, so, so, um, so anyway, it raised eyebrows when he chose to bring in Kyle Allen over Cam Newton. During my battery failure, uh, <laughs> uh, did you guys uh, talk about Brady and Tampa? No, not yet. Oh, sorry. What do you think about Brady and Tampa? And uh, oh, well, but before we get to that, you know, we at the undefeated, we did a whole series on the year of the black quarterback and blah 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 around uh, Mahomes and around Lamar. And I thought that's all well and good, but a litmus test would be how teams treated Cam Newton. In other words. If this really is something, if, if black quarterbacks have really finally arrived, this is going to stick. Everybody got to get one. <laughs> I thought that how people treated Newton, if this is such a thing, you know, this would be a litmus test. What, what do you think about, about, I guess this is another way of getting into the Cam Newton thing, if how they treat him is sort of a, a, comment, a commentary on whether the league is really sold on this idea of having black quarterbacks. We don't have to talk about it anymore. And it's set. Um, Bill, the, we, we, we discussed it when your battery went down, but I'll real quick, what I'll say to you is, is I think Cam got caught in a really tough situation this year from um, the standpoint of the pandemic prevented teams from being able to bring him in for physical. Cause all the teams that I've talked to about him, one of the things they wanted to know is how, how, how healthy is his shoulder, not his foot, which derailed him last year, but his shoulder from two years ago, he had two surgeries on it after that season and then came back. And even then Rivera had said, Cam's still not cutting the ball loose. Like we know he can. So if teams are unable to get their hands on, on a quarterback in particular to check out his throwing shoulder, they are not going to sign him. Um, and we saw this happen to some degree with Drew Brees that year after he got injured. And there was concern on Miami's part about would he ever be the same? 
and they chose not to go down that road. Instead, they signed Dante Culpepper, and Drew ended up in New Orleans. Um, so I think if teams had been able to get their hands on Cam, I do believe he would have been with a club by now. But the fact that they haven't been able to, and the fact that the league proceeded with free agency in the draft, the club said we better address our needs now, and they did. And I believe with Cam, what I'm fascinated to see is that if he takes a lesser deal with the team now as a potential backup, or does he wait to see if someone gets injured and then move in at that point, sign with the team? Right. So, okay, Brady and Tampa. No, I, I, that's I, – hell, I love it. I, I think it's going to be fun. Um, when you match Tom Brady with Bruce Arians, um, two of the best at what they do, uh, what I think is going to happen is it's going to take time for that whole marriage to sort of find its legs from the standpoint, Tom is coming from a complete, completely different system in new England than what Bruce likes to run. Tom was basically a get the ball out quick guy in new England. Whereas Bruce is a guy that likes to take seven step drops and push the ball down the field. The one thing we know is Tampa is loaded with offensive talent. When you look at its receiving core, um, they upgraded their line in the draft. So uh, they get Gronk to come out of retirement I think offensively, they're going to have all the weapons, and I think it's just going to take a moment. I think what you will see is, is Tampa will start slow, and I think by November, December, if everyone's healthy, I think they will find their legs and be, be rolling. Going from, going from quarterback to safety, um, what do you think uh, about Eric Reed? Will, will he be signed? It's, at some point, I believe he will. Um, I mean, we saw the, the clubs weren't holding his, 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 his um, social activism against him. Uh, you know, what he was in Carolina for a couple of years, even after that. So um, I believe Eric uh, will wind up someplace at some point. Well, we'll see. Like I said, this is all fun. But yeah. to this point, right. the biggest, this is like fantasy football. Will there be, will there be a season? So I guess that will be something that uh, we, we've got to see. Like you said, a lot of, a lot of journalists uh, aren't necessarily chomping at the bit to get back into the press box yet. So I guess it's all just like a, a wait and see. Uh, before we let you, you know, go, Bill, I think I'll say this to you, Bill. Um, a lot of companies are having to, are discussing already how they're going to handle the NFL if it comes back. And for instance, reporters aren't allowed in the locker room or they want to set up podiums for athletes to speak at. Because as you know, everyone in today's age is looking for some sort of exclusivity. You know, can you get the story that no one else has? Well, if everyone has the same access, meaning they're putting a player at a podium and that's the only time you get them or they're doing it, you know, virtually. Um, I've already heard some places talk about, you know what, we're not going to send people out for that because uh, there's no there's no benefit. You know, you can basically do it off the wire or you get the a feed of the video and, and we do it that way. So I really think that the way we cover sports potentially could change tremendously based on this pandemic going forward um, because it's forced all businesses to look at how they do things. And what, what do we hear after the draft, even in the NFL, you heard coaches and GMs saying, wow, you know, um, that went pretty smoothly. We want to incorporate more virtual work into our workplace, you know, that sort of thing. So um, I think there are going to be so many tentacles, to this that we haven't even experienced or seen yet. How do you think it's going to uh, change our business? Um, I mean, I thought that <clears throat> I know a lot of people were talking about the locker room and uh, I'm, you know, I'm kind of okay. I've never been a huge got to be in a locker room thing. I mean, I, there, there are benefits to it, but you look at guys like you, I'm sure you've got tons of phone numbers. I mean, there are all kinds of ways to skin cats, you know, right? We're going to have to find different ways to skin that cap. No, no question, Bill. But what happens is, as you know, once the season starts, you have some teams who tell their players not to talk to the media away from the facility. And so therefore that's when you see all these anonymous quotes and those sorts of things. And we have a public right now that's so distrusting of the media that particularly when you're using an anonymous source, it becomes problematic. So Let's say even if I do have all these contacts with players and you call and you, you're getting information, then they say, oh, but you can't use my name. You can't quote me. It's, it's just a different world that I, I think is not posit would not be positive for us were to go down that road 
Um, and the other thing is, as I get older in this business, before I ever get out of it, the one thing I'm trying to do more of is to make these players three-dimensional, you know, and to not just be about what's happening between the white lines and that sort of thing, but to try and help the public understand who they are as men, not just players. And that requires spending time with them, you know, even away from the football field. And if you don't have that kind of access and you're, let's say, trying to do everything by phone even, um, it's very difficult to do that in, in, a, in a comprehensive and a, um, even to use the word entertaining way to draw in the public. So, um, so I don't know how this is all going to affect us. I just have some concerns that, um, that, that, it's, that it's not going to affect us in a positive way, which leads me to this. And I'm sorry, I'm bringing this full circle back to the minority coaching thing. I think one of the ways that the league can help minority coaches is to do away with this draconian rule that assistant coaches aren't allowed to speak or that coordinators can only speak one day a week or whatever it is. And I said this to Marty Schottenheimer one time, if you are so concerned that your assistant coach is going to say something wrong, then you hired the wrong man in the first place. But these assistant coaches need to have access to the media so that they get that exposure because owners don't know who they are and owners, believe it or not, A lot of them go by what they read. And when we talk about who's the hot candidate, they're looking to the media a lot of times to tell them who that is. So to me, that's one way to get these minority coaches exposure as well as experience in terms of dealing with the media um, and the public. Well, to be continued, uh, Aaron Matthewson, uh, Jamal Murphy, Ken Shropshire, Jim Trotter. uh, This has been phenomenal. Any uh, Any last thoughts, any last words? Uh, till till uh, next week. Uh, what's everybody doing for Memorial Day? I'm just curious. Uh, are we having like <laughs> virtual virtual barbecues or uh, distancing barbecues? Sounds good. It, <laughs> is Memorial Day any different from the past two months? Yeah, no. Uh, say <laughs> Memorial Day, quarantine day is all, all the same. Although I am, you know, you you asking something? I'll tell you, you know, I'm I'm a barbecue master. You know. <laughs> Texas, Arkansas roots. So I am. Every black man is a barbecue man. <laughs> no gas. You know, it's all plus, you know, okay. wood smoke, right? You know, so it's a real thing. You're making me feel bad with my gas. Uh, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Gas is not. No, no, I got a gas no. thing. I'm less, I'm less. Because I'm, I'm barbecuing with that's, tell you that's what, what it sounds no, like, Bill. Yes. No, no, no. Yes. Not, it's not even a conversation. It's not even, not even a conversation. I'm with you, Ken. I'm with you. I, I got your back on this one. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. We'll have a barbecue off. We'll have a grill off. How about that? We'll have a grill, grill. You, you grilling, brother. You're not barbecue. <laughs> I, I have to ask you guys, before we go, I have to ask you guys, Virgo, just quick predictions. I know we talked about football, but the NBA is supposed to issue guidelines about recalling players. Do you think we're going to finish the season? It looks like they're going to try. Yeah, I, I don't know. That, that whole scale, that that that, that money is safety scale, and, and there, you know, I have, I have a higher degree of, of confidence that the players are engaged in the conversation and that they are going to take on the risk of whatever they set up. But, but I think they're really going to have some. And if you think about the sport, at least amongst the players, an isolated setting is something that, that's a lot more feasible than with the other games. Yeah, I agree with We've that. We've heard LeBron say he wants to finish the season. So yeah. when LeBron wants, LeBron gets. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great point. That's that a is great a good point. point. <laughs> yeah. Focus on LeBron. <laughs> this, this will be a podcast for another podcast for another day. But, and I thought about this back in March when the league decided very early on they were going to throw fans under the bus. I mean, that's the first thing they all agreed on, that, you know, the fans can go. And I'm just wondering, you know, maybe we could talk about this next week. What fans got to think? You know, you're thinking that it's about you. And these all these leagues, hey, you know, we'll do this without you guys. As long as we got our sponsorship money, we could go without fans. So it's got to be very sober. But it'll be on TV for the fans. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that, that'll be another... That, that's, again, we we do need another podcast for that one. We need <laughs> another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Jim Trotter the, uh, uh, covers the NFL uh, for the NFL Network uh, and uh, has has seen uh, a lot, has uh, done a lot. Um, 
you know, hopefully, maybe hopefully I'll see you in a press box, Jim. I don't know. You know, we'll see. Hey, um, it, it, it'll be mine or seriously, all joking aside, man, I'm humbled to do your podcast and I appreciate the invitation. The great Jim Trotter. Hey, Jim, thanks so much. Uh, uh, Ken Shropshire, uh, CEO of the Global Sports Institute, longtime friend, the giant in the industry. I'm you trying know, to lose weight. I'm trying to get smaller. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, good luck. And, uh, <laughs> great, and, and the great Aaron Matthewson, uh, formerly of uh, ESPN, the undefeated, uh, now with CNN. Uh, Aaron, always great seeing you. And, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll see everybody uh, next week. The great Jamal Murphy holding it down in Brooklyn. I'm charging up my battery, so <laughs> we, we won't have that failure again. Hey, guys. <laughs> thanks thanks so much, everybody. Stay safe. And, uh, you know, God bless. And we'll, you know, see everybody next week. Thanks, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Thank, Thank, you. Care, Thank you, everybody. All right. Thank you. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel and I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.